Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Nancy Carter, and I'm going to be sharing this week. The title of what I want to share is called God's Chosen. Now, that seems a little contradictory from those words we just saw up there, doesn't it? Words that we just never measure up. Words where we just struggle with insecurity, that I'm not smart enough, that I'm not good enough, that I can never measure up, that I'm a reject, that I'm a mistake, that we let all of our mistakes define who we are. We let our past define who we are. We let the accusations define who we are. And we begin to believe the lies of the enemy. We believe that God made a mistake with us. That God's word is true for everyone else. That everyone else is God's chosen. And yes, we read and we hear that we're God's chosen. But we just have trouble comprehending that God actually loves us that much. And that we are who God says that we are. We just judge ourselves constantly. And how does that make you feel when you judge yourself? Do you feel like you're God's chosen? Or do you feel like you're a reject? That you're a mistake? That you're a second-class Christian? A couple weeks ago, I read a scripture from Zechariah chapter 3. About Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And the scene took place in a courtroom that Joshua was on trial. Joshua represented Israel. And as we know, Israel sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned again. And Joshua was standing there representing the nation of Israel and just in all the filthy garments. We know when we sin, we know when we tell ourselves that we're nobody, we know when we tell ourselves that we never measure up, we still, we feel like Joshua, don't we, in those filthy garments. We're going to read that in Zechariah 3, verse 1. Then he showed me, God showed Zechariah. Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Who's always at your right hand? We have an enemy. And we should never be surprised by his tactics. He hates you, Jesse. He hates you, Ashley. He hates you, Shirley go on and on and on because that's who he is he's the father of hate he's the father of lies and he wants to do what he can to tear us down and that's what he was doing to Joshua see Joshua knew that he was representing the sins of Israel he knew that filth was upon him he knew the sin that was upon him just like we know all of our mistakes and all of our failures don't we We don't need to remind ourselves, do we? But Satan is there to remind us constantly. 
So it says, Satan was standing at the right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Israel may have sinned, and they may have turned their back on God. But what Satan didn't and doesn't understand is that Israel was and is God's chosen people. And God was not going to turn his back on them. Just like God is not going to turn his back on us. And so while Satan was there to accuse, the angel of the Lord said, I rebuke you. And he didn't say it just once. He said it twice. Whenever something is spoken twice, there's an emphasis there. And God was saying, this is a brand plucked from the fire. These are my people. These are mine. It says, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him. And to him he said, see, I have removed the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. The filthy garments that Joshua was wearing, the angel of the Lord said, remove them. Clothe him, not just in clean clothes, not just in someone's hand-me-downs, but in rich robes fitting for a high priest to signify the righteousness of God. And then he said, and cover his head with a turban. It wasn't because Joshua's head was cold or his ears were cold. But that was to complete the garment for a high priest. Because what God does, he does complete. To signify the holiness and the righteousness that God was giving to Joshua and to Israel. We have the accuser there, but we have the angel of the Lord, our advocate our advocate, our defense. So even though the enemy is there constantly, we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who is there constantly to say, I am interceding on your behalf, saying, you are my chosen people. I love you. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to all that negativity. Don't listen to the insecurity, all those insecure thoughts that you have. Put your eyes on God. If I could have picked the songs for praise and worship this morning, Jay and Todd, I would have, those would have been some of them. Because it talked about turn to God. Turn to God. He's our authority. He's our everything. And Phil, I started to include that scripture from Romans in my message. And I thought, no, I have enough scriptures. I'm not going to include it. So thank you. We have an accuser and we have an advocate. Jesus Christ who's there to give us those royal robes. In Isaiah 43, 1b, it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. The enemy tells us we're nobodies. 
Our mind tells us we're nobodies. The world may even tell us we're nobodies. Your family and your friends may, so-called friends, tell you that you're nobodies, that you will never amount to anything, that your past will define you. But Jesus Christ says you're covered by the blood of Jesus. You're covered by my blood. You come to me and you surrender those to me. And you will find life. In the scripture he says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. He doesn't just say, hey, you over there. Salvation is yours. He says, no, Derek, my beloved son, I've redeemed you. You're mine. It's a jealous love. It's a precious love. And that's how the Lord sees us, that we're his. We need not fear or walk in that insecurity because we're God's. Another scripture, Colossians 3.12. In the New Living Translation, it says, Since God chose you to be the people he loves. He chose you. We didn't choose him. He chose us. And Jesus died on the cross for us. And he's our advocate. And he already won the battle over the enemy so that we could walk free. So who are we going to listen to? The enemy that's been defeated or Jesus Christ through whom we overcome? I want to give you just a little bit of background about this message. And in doing it, I'm going to be kind of real. I really didn't want to do it. I'm the administrator, and part of my job is to schedule speakers. And when Aaron said that I needed to schedule speakers for his sabbatical, I thought, should I put myself down? Even though, God, I know you're saying that teaching is one of my gifts, and I really like to do it, and, and I know that's what you want me to do, but nah. I'm not going to. And so I filled it, and I even filled it a couple more weeks extra than what I needed to. And then my wonderful home group leader gives me a call. See, Rick likes to pick on me when, I'm, when he's up here, so you get it back. He and Rick are, or he and Terry are wonderful leaders. But he called me, and he said, Nancy, you asked me to do it twice, and I really enjoy sharing, but if you would like to take that service then you can have it. And I'm thinking, Rick, you know I schedule. If I would have wanted on there, I would have done it. And so I said, no, Rick, I really don't. I said I did it on purpose because I'm really feeling kind of burnt out myself right now. And so, no, I'm not going to do it. So not only was Rick not minding his own business, I was driving home from the grocery store one day and the Holy Spirit went up minding his own business. And he began to deal with my heart saying, Nancy, I want you to take that service. I was like, oh. Now, I know you guys never argue with God, do you? And I said, God, I really don't feel like I have anything to share. And... He said, you're just the vessel. In other words, you're just the donkey. Let me speak through you. And so we go on, and he says, I want you to speak on God's chosen, being God's chosen. And I thought, God, that's really not how I feel right now. 
I don't feel very chosen of you, even though I can teach it. And he began to say he wanted me to speak on insecurity. And it's like, oh, God, you're really getting too personal now. Because that's a struggle for me. But he said something else. That I wasn't the only one that struggles with insecurity. Because he said some of you do too. And he said, people, it's time to go free. Some of you are struggling with words that have been spoken to you years and years ago. And you've allowed those words to determine who you are. And they have kept you from stepping out into the things that God has for you. You've allowed circumstances to define who you are. You've allowed your own failures to determine what you're going to accomplish for God. God has a work to be done. And how is it going to be done if we see ourselves as failures? You know, insecurity is an ultimate insult to God. If we would be honest, what are we saying about God? God, you're a liar because your blood really didn't cover me. God, you're a liar because I'm still a reject. God, you're a liar because I can't measure up. I can't be like Sally. We're saying, God, you're a liar because I am not good enough. Well, God is not a liar. God is truth. And he's saying, let's go free now. And it's our choice. It's our choice whether we're going to go free. You know what's so wonderful? Jesus already defeated the enemy on the cross. He already poured his blood out for us. Are we going to receive that sacrifice? Or are we going to believe the lies of the enemy? What voice are we going to walk in and listen to? The voice of the enemy, the voices that go on in our mind? Or are we going to listen to God? So saying all of that, I'm up here this morning. When I was going through this, I came across the devotional in the U version um, that we used uh, for the messages and that you can read the scripture on. And it was called Crash the Shatterbox, and it was by Stephen Furtick, a, a pastor of Elevation Church in North Carolina. And it was only, I think, a five-day, seven-day devotional, but it just really stirred my heart to a point that I ordered the book and to the point that I went to the Elevation Church website and to the point where I found that all of his teachings for this series are free on YouTube. Fear. Is it a coincidence that Greg spoke on fear last week? Fear and insecurity go hand in hand. Fear, insecurity, discouragement, shame, depression. He talks about all of those voices, that chatterbox. It's like it goes on and on and on and on in our minds, and we can never break free of it. And so I wanted to include that slide because that little audio video you heard earlier came from that. And some of the information I'm sharing, I want to contribute um, to you, comes from that. So, I want some honesty. 
How many of you would say, yeah, I, I struggle with insecurity. And if I had that book, I would read it and then pass it on to someone else. Anyone? Raise your hands again. Okay. I only had four books, so what you're going to do, you're going to read it and you're going to pass it on. <laughs> or you're going to go to one of my favorites, Amazon. <laughs> my family knows I love Amazon. And you're going to order it. Or if you really want it, you can't afford it, come to me. We'll get it for you. Contrary to what the devil tells you, we are not failures. We're not mistakes. And so on. In Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, I love the scripture. For you formed my inward parts. God, you formed my inward parts. You, God, covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. What does fearfully mean? It means with great interest, with devotion, with respect. We were made. Wonderfully means that we're unique and we're set apart. That's how God made us. He didn't just have a pile of arms and legs and faces and brains and hearts and say, okay, let's throw them up in the air and let's see what we get. This looks like a Derek. Let's throw them up again. Oh, that's be an Alice. Let's throw them up again. Well, let's do this one a second time. No, God says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He created us. Does God make mistakes? No. Then we need to get that into our minds and we need to get that into our hearts. We are not mistakes. We are not failures, but we are God's creation. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And it says, I will praise you. What's the conversation coming out of our mouth? Well, I can tell you with mine too many times. It's, I'm not enough. I'm not like so-and-so. I can't do this like so-and-so. God's not hearing my prayers, so I must not be doing it right. And we go on and on and on. But the psalmist here says, I will praise you. We need to turn our conversation around, our confession around. I will praise you, God, because I am yours. I am yours. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am unique. I am set apart. I was not meant to be like um, Garnet. I wasn't meant to be like Jim. I wasn't meant to be like any person in this congregation. God, you created me to be me. And that's where we need to allow God to work in us. And then there's another verse in this. It says, 
I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. <laughs> the problem is, our souls don't know that. You know, I have no problem praying for Phil and Heather and believing that God has a wonderful plan for them. But how many of you are like me? Sometimes you have a problem believing that for yourself. We need to get God's word in our spirits. And that needs to be our confession. That needs to be what we believe. My soul knows this very well. Stephen Furtick said um, something in his book, and he said that he heard it, and he didn't know if it was actually true. But he said, we have around 60,000 thoughts going through our minds on any given day. Wow. Imagine if we actually spoke all of those thoughts. And then he said approximately 48,000 of those are negative. That's 80%. That's wild, isn't it? That on the average, 80% of our thoughts are negative. That doesn't mean that we have this little devil right here who 48,000 times during the day is whispering negative thoughts. Nancy, you're a loser. Nancy, you're not good enough. Nancy, you're not this or this, this. It means we are rehearsing those on our own, like a broken record, like a chatterbox that goes on and on and on and on. We may not voice them to other people, but if we had to be honest, how negative is our mind sometimes? Especially toward ourselves, to what God has called us to. And you know, it doesn't just stay in us. That negativity takes root. And anything that takes root then bears fruit. What's the fruit that's coming forth from that negativity? What do we turn to to try to find peace? What do we turn to to try to fill that empty void within us? Maybe it's food, maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's jealousy, maybe that competitiveness. Maybe we lash out at those that we love because we just never feel secure enough. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great ministers um, from the past, said, Beware of no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies in us. It's not other people. We fight against ourselves, and we tear ourselves down, and we keep ourselves from God's best. God's saying there's a work to be done, and we need to go forth. We need to go forth, and we can only do that when we receive the freedom that God has for us. God loves us. If I had to put this next sentence up there with a blank on it, I'm not blank enough. What would your blank be? If you're like me, probably more than one. Just a sample. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. God, you can't use me. I'm not smart enough. I don't know the Bible. I can't be a small group leader. I'm not spiritually smart enough. 
I'm not strong enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not healthy enough. I'm not spiritual enough. God, I can't go pray for someone. I'm going to sound stupid. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not rich enough. I can't tithe. If they knew how much money I didn't have, well, God knows, and he still requires it. I'm not talented enough. Where's the... Back there, it says every, min- every believer can minister. It doesn't say anything about how talented you are. But it does say in Scripture that we're the body of Christ and every part has a purpose. I'm not forgiven enough. We just can't let go of our failures. We can't, just, we can't let go of those mistakes. We can't let go of our past. I'm not popular enough. God, who's going to listen to me? You need someone that's that extrovert, not an introvert like me. Remember, my niece was over yesterday, and I told her I was doing the message today, and Mom said, remember when, Nancy, you couldn't get a word out of her? Now some of you are probably saying, I wish there weren't too many words coming forth. I'm not loved enough. I'm not anything enough. The list goes on and on and on and on. When you try your best, but it's still not enough. Just still not enough. Look at this picture next. How many of us are like that little guy on the end? We just try. We try to get up to the bar. And we can't. Now, insecurity is not that cute. In reality, the other dogs are probably picking on them. And this little guy down here, he probably quits trying. (laughs) Insecurity is pretty ugly at times. As I said, it takes root, the anger, and all of the other things that comes out. We need to begin to choose what voices we're going to listen to. Stephen said in one of his quotes, the voice you believe will determine the future you experience. How many people never reach their destiny because they believe they can't? I think of the book of Esther, Queen Esther. And it says that she was chosen for such a time as this. For such a time when the nation of Israel needed her to step in before the king and plead for the release, for the safety, that the Jewish people would not be killed. What would have happened if Esther would have said, no. The king's never seen me before. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good enough. I'm a Jewish person myself. I can't do that. What would the destiny have been? We are chosen for such a time as this every day. There's not just the one-time occurrence that we strive for, and God says, okay, this is your destiny. But I believe every day we have a destiny. 
that builds and builds to take us to the next step. But we're not going to take those steps if we don't begin to believe God. I want to look at Exodus next. Exodus, we're going to look at chapters 3 and 4, but we're not going to read all of those. If you know Moses, you know that he was a man full of insecurity. A man that of great faith, but insecure in himself. Moses was on Mount Horeb, tending his father-in-law's sheep. And I'm sure not expecting in the least for God to appear to him that day. In verse 4, um, after God appeared to him in the burning bush, verse 4, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of that bush and said, Moses, Moses, look at that, twice again, saying, Moses, there's a covenant when it's mentioned twice, that emphasis, that importance, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do you ever say that to God sometimes? Here I am. God, I'll do anything for you. And he tells you what he wants. And you say, oh, I regret that I said that, God. I have a feeling that's where Moses is at. But at the beginning, he says, here I am. Verse 5, then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, didn't God just tell Moses who he was? God said, I am. I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he goes on to tell Moses, I've seen the oppression of your people in Egypt, and that God was going to deliver them to a land of milk and honey. Now, think about this if you were Moses. You're thinking, oh, I can't wait till God delivers them. But, uh-oh, why is he telling me? Something must be going on here. Verse 10, come now. Therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God called Moses. He didn't say, Moses, I'm calling you because you were a, a Jewish man or because you were raised in royalty or because you have all of these gifts. He just says, come. I'm going to send you, Moses. And look at verse 11, that three-letter word that keeps us from our destiny so many times. But Moses said to God, but we say to God, but God, I can't be an intercessor, but God, I can't be a children's teacher, but God, I can't make this change in my life. God, I can't do this job. God, I can't be a good parent. God, I can't do this. Verse 12, so he said, I will certainly be with you. The same promise God has for us. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Wasn't this already established? 
Don't we do the same thing with God? Didn't I do the same thing with God in the car? Verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go. Go. There's a time that we need to stop arguing with God, and we need to go, and we need to be obedient to the things that God has called us to do, which means to rise above the insecurity. A few weeks ago, I went to a, um, a meeting at Grove City to see um, Priscilla Shire, but it was something her brother said, Anthony Evans, that really stood out to me. He said he was going through a time of depression and just arguing with God and, and not seeing what God wanted to do in his own life. And he went to his father and he told him. And his dad said, imagine that you went to a football game and the team gets in the huddle and they stay in the huddle for the whole game. What would you think? He goes, well, it'd be kind of boring. I really wouldn't like it. And he said, no, what would you really think? He goes, I would be angry because I came to see a game and they're not doing anything. All they're doing is going over the strategy, but they're not implementing it. And his dad said, well, what are you doing, Anthony? Most of us know what the word of God says. We know that God loves us. We learn as a little child, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. But yet we struggle to see ourselves in that light. We struggle to believe that God actually loves us so much that he died on the cross for us, that he has a plan and a purpose for us, that he wants to cleanse us of every negative accusation that's come against us. So we spend our time just thinking about what we need to do, what we should do, what we're not doing, and we get more and more depressed. It's time to come out of the pity party of the huddle we're in and be obedient to what the Word of God says and go. When God calls, we need to go. God has a plan and a purpose for us. But if we're always telling ourselves that we can't do it, then God's going to have to use someone else, and we're going to miss out. Verse 18, then they will heed your voice. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. Said, God even gives them the plan. He says, the people's going to listen to you. You're going to have favor with them, Moses. And the Pharaoh's not going to let you go. But I will do mighty signs and wonders. When you say, I can't, God says, I created you and I formed you. I gave you all of the gifts. I've equipped you with everything you need. And the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives and dwells in you. We can do it through Christ. And look at Moses again in verse 4. Then Moses answered and said, what's that word? 
but. But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Didn't God already say they were going to listen? Hasn't the word already told us who we are? But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent enough. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. He hasn't had any problem speaking out these defenses, has he? So the Lord said to him, Who's made your mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have I not, have not I the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. God, use someone else, not me. What well, comes down to, do we want God's best or don't we? Do we want to be used by God or don't we? Do we want to be a pawn of the enemy or do we want to be a child of the Most High God walking in his grace and his power? God is merciful and God is patient with us. But there's a limit. Verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what he shall do. So he shall be your spokesperson to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. How many times did Moses doubt God? And you think, oh my gosh. How could he doubt God with God right there in the burning bush? And how can we doubt God after the cross? Jesus dying and shedding his blood for us. Just to recap, God shows Moses an imperfect man with a past. He was a murderer. He had killed a man. But God still had a plan for Moses. Moses doubted himself. And he was letting that define who he was. Moses asked God to choose someone else. But God says, Moses, I created you. I'm calling you. Go. That I will do signs and wonders. Even in the verses we didn't read that the plunder, the wealth of, of Egypt will be given unto you. And he says, tell them that I am has sent you. The great I am, I am everything you need. Everything that you could ever need, I am. God shows his power. He confirms his power to Moses. 
And then there's that point where God's angered with Moses. And he said, okay, we'll do it your way. But Moses missed out on the greater blessing because of that. Moses had so many excuses, and he believed all the lies of the enemy. What excuses do you have for not walking in the will of God? What, insecu- what is insecurity keeping you from? The I am lives in us. Now, I used to think when I remember watched that old Ten Commandments, it was before some of your times, the old Ten Commandment movies, and he said, I am, you know, that deep voice, I am. Who is he? He's everything we need. I am all you need. That he knows our needs even before we do. I am your redeemer. I've redeemed you. I've ransomed you from the curse. I'm your savior. I've given you eternal life. I've given you abundant life. I'm your provision. I'm your healer. I'm your peace. I'm your deliverer. I'm your creator. I'm your shepherd. I'm the one that will never leave you or forsake you. I'm the one that has a future and a plan for you. I'm the one who loves you unconditionally. I am. I could go on and on and on because he is the great I am, everything we need. So we need to learn to shut off the negative. And how are we going to do that? We need to get into the Word of God. The Word of God. Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need to break that chatterbox. We need to break the lies of the enemy. We need to break that broken record that goes over and over and over in our minds. Renew our minds by the word of God. (coughs) Keith, I have to tell you something. God has called you as a mighty man of God. There are such gifts in you, and I believe that when God looks at you, he just smiles. And he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. (coughs) But he also says, let go. Let go of those words that that creep on, on you, that say that you never measure up because, Keith, you've measured up in the eyes of your God. Keith, if, if I, just the love that I'm feeling right now, God wants to pour it out all over you. And I just believe, Keith, God is saying, I am doing a new work in you. I am doing a new work in you because you are his and you are loved. Let your mind be renewed just by what God wants to do in you. The word of God, prayer. We need to know the voice of Jesus Christ. In John 10, 4, it talks about the shepherd and the sheep and each knowing their own, the voice of the other. We recognize the voice of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, by spending time with him. We need to spend time with Jesus to know his voice so that we can discern his voice 
from the voice of the enemy. We need to build ourselves up in prayer. And we need to walk in authority. When Jesus went to heaven, he didn't leave us defenseless. He gave us the keys to the kingdom. He gave us his authority, and he said, use it, walk in it. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, those thoughts that come against us, instead of allowing them to take us into captivity, we need to stop them. <coughs> By the word of God. In Matthew 4, when the enemy came against Jesus, when he was in the, the desert, in the wilderness, Jesus said, it is written. We need to know the word of God so that we can say, no, it is written. I am a child of the Most High God. I am forgiven. God has a future and a hope and a plan for me. I am his. I will not give way to what the enemy wants to do. We need to change our confessions. Excuse me. When I woke up this morning, my allergies were a mess, and I discovered that I hadn't taken my allergy medicine last night. And I also discovered why they say take it at night. <laughs> so I was standing there before I got up here saying, God, wake me up some. We need to change our confession. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are pure, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. Not meditate on what the enemy tells us, not meditate on what we tell ourselves. Meditate upon what the word of God tells us, who we are in him. If you're one that the enemy has lied to you for years or you had a parent that always told you you would never measure up or a boss that told you you would never measure up, declare the word of God. It is written. It is written. We need to have thankful hearts, just like it said in Psalm 139. And what's the most important thing? We need to choose to believe God. Choose to believe God in all things. There's a promise that God's given us in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That needs to be our confession. That needs to be our thought. That needs to be what God has for us, and we need to claim it. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.